Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, March 1st. Coming up, a deal called Contract for Deed offers the dream of home ownership to people who can't get a mortgage. But these deals put buyers at risk of losing everything they've invested. So it was actually pretty much of a letdown. You know, it was all the money I'd dumped in there. Not, I don't get that either back. It, it was just, it pretty much devastated me, really. Plus, how can our schools do a better job of teaching Black history? But first, some headlines. Prosecutors are recommending the Kansas City police detective convicted in the fatal shooting of Cameron Lamb be sentenced to up to nine years in prison. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. Jackson County prosecutors are recommending that Eric DeValconeer be sentenced to four years in prison on his conviction for involuntary manslaughter and nine years on his conviction for armed criminal action. They're recommending the sentences be served concurrently. DeValconeer's sentencing is scheduled for March 4th. DeValconeer shot Lamb, a 26-year-old black man, as he was backing his pickup into a garage. DeValconeer claimed he saw Lamb reaching for a gun. He has been free on bond while awaiting sentencing. Missouri Governor Mike Parson introduced the state's new health director today. Paula Nicholson has worked for the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services for more than 20 years. Her more recent work has involved COVID-19 response. Nicholson is the acting health director, which means that she won't have to be confirmed by the Missouri Senate, which refused to confirm Parson's last pick because of his support for vaccines. Johnson County Sheriff Calvin Hayden says his office is using county resources to investigate what he calls irregularities in the 2020 and 2021 elections. Kyle Palmer reports. There's been no evidence of any widespread voter fraud in Johnson County in recent elections. Results from the last two cycles have been officially certified and audited. But at a meeting of local Republican Party members Monday night, Hayden confirmed that one of his employees has been working for the past six months to look at election data. He cited no specific instances of alleged fraud, but still cast doubt on results, in particular questioning the validity of a sharp increase in registered Democrats in Johnson County. The county's top election official said allegations of widespread election problems are, quote, baseless and part of a broader effort to erode public confidence in elections. Contracts for deed, also known as rent-to-own options, are marketed as a path to home ownership for people who don't qualify for traditional loans. But KCUR's Laura Ziegler and Steve Vakrat of the Midwest Newsroom found these contracts often leave Midwest buyers out in the cold. Sylvia Juarez is finally living in a place she can call home. It's taken 18 years for the 51-year-old from Mexico to own a home, and now she's having a great time making it her own, sewing and hanging her own Mm -hmm. curtains. And see, the other one is short, but it's fine. (laughs) It was in the mid-2000s when she divorced and suddenly was in need of a house for herself and her three small children. Driving around one Sunday in northeast Kansas City, she saw a house with a sign out front, for sale by owner. She called the number and soon was meeting with Travis Overs at a local Denny's restaurant. She'd only seen the inside of the house by peering through the windows, and she had some questions, but he wasn't interested in hearing them. He told me, do you want a house? I said, well, you have to see this side 
now because I got more people they want the house. Overs told her she'd need to sign a contract and give him an $8,000 down payment that day. She told him she wanted to get a cashier's check. But he don't want it. He want the cash. Yeah, like 20s it. and 10s. Yeah. Juarez yes. didn't have authorization to live in the U.S. at the time, and she was worried about being turned over to the immigration authority, so she did not seek legal advice. We signed it. He gave me the key. We opened the house, cleaned the house a little bit, and we put all the stuff inside. Several months later, law enforcement officers knocked on the door with an order to evict Juarez for non-payment of rent. She was confused, thinking she'd bought the house that day at Denny's. Contracts for deed are kind of like the buy here, uh, pay here car lots of the real estate business. Lance Lowenstein is an attorney in Northeast Kansas City. He says he sees a case like Juarez's almost every week. They exist to allow people that don't have access to traditional banking, either because of their credit history or their job status. It gives them an opportunity to buy real estate. Here's how contracts for deed work. The seller is also the lender, collecting a down payment and a monthly installment, often at higher than standard interest rates. The buyer is typically responsible for taxes and insurance for all the improvements and repairs. But here's the kicker. If a buyer misses one monthly payment, whether they've been paying for three months or 23, the seller can take back the property and keep any investments made up to that point. The rent, the maintenance, improvements, all of it. Stephanie Mancini with the National Consumer Law Center says these These arrangements rarely end in the buyer owning a home. The buyer is being told they have all the duties of home ownership, but they don't get the protections of a right to foreclosure and they don't have a deed and they don't have the right to sell the home and realize the equity. These sometimes sketchy real estate instruments became common in the Midwest when Wall Street hedge funds swooped in after the housing crisis and bought properties in bulk out of foreclosure or from government-sponsored mortgage buyers Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The houses were often uninhabitable and in low-income communities disproportionately made up of black and Latino people or immigrants because of the history of redlining and other discriminatory real estate practices. For Tiffany Martino, it was moving to North Platte, Nebraska from Oregon, where housing prices were much higher that got her into trouble. She was happy when she found a home for $78,000. She was grateful to find a seller who would negotiate a $1,400 down payment and $500 a month in rent. She ended up putting some $10,000 into the property and made about $30,000 in rent payments over five years. But she fell behind and says at one point she was $3,000 in arrears. Her landlord took her to court. Rather than go to trial, her attorney advised her to settle. The owner would not demand her back rent, but she walked away from the house and everything she'd put into it. It was actually pretty much of a letdown. You know, all the money I dumped in there, I don't get that either back. It pretty much devastated me, really. Contracts for deed can be useful for people without access to more traditional lending options, but consumer advocates, experts, and lawyers agree that greater regulations needed to protect vulnerable buyers from sellers out to exploit them. With Steve Ockrad of the Midwest Newsroom, I'm Laura Ziegler for KCUR 89.3. The Midwest Newsroom is a partnership between NPR and member stations. It provides investigative journalism and in-depth reporting with a focus on Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska. In recent months, right-wing lawmakers and groups have tried to limit teaching about race or inequality in schools across the country, including in Kansas and Missouri. On the other side of the political spectrum, many others say talking about race is an integral part of a full and diverse education. 
But what's the best way to teach about such a complex topic? KCUR's Steve Kraske spoke to David Brox, a sophomore in the Olathe School District, and LaGarrett King, associate professor at Buffalo University and founding director of the Carter Center for K-12 Black History Education at the University of Missouri. Here's their conversation about teaching the history and culture of Black Americans. I'm wondering what goes through your mind as you listen to adults argue about this, though, critical race theory. When I hear people arguing about that, I mean, it is definitely a very important part of our society and should be an important part of the education system. And to hear adults arguing about it is just demeaning, honestly, because it is something that every child deserves the right to learn in an education system. And by shutting it off, and bringing us away from it, it tends to have a negative effect on our children and the way that they're brought up. So I feel like people arguing about it is really demeaning. Professor King, what bothers you the most about the way Black history is taught these days? Black history in schools have been an issue since the 19th century, right? But in many ways, we teach about Black history, but we don't teach through Black history. When we teach about Brown versus Board of Education, right, for our Kansas um, you know, listeners, we teach about Brown but we don't teach through Brown in our schools. When we teach about Brown, we're thinking that Brown was this wonderful Supreme Court case that integrated society, right? But in reality, if we teach, if we teach through, through Black people, we would have a different historical record about Brown. Brown ended Black schools, right, which were really good at that particular moment. If you talk to any older Black person about their schools, you would realize, you know, the joy that they talk about these uh, segregated schools. If you if you taught through Brown, teachers lost their jobs, Black administrators lost their jobs, and at the mm. crux of Brown, the Black community did not want to integrate with the white community in their schools because they understood what would happen, right? Uh. So these particular narratives are totally different in the way in which we put Brown in our curriculum. To truly approach Black history is to teach through people through Black people's voices, their perspectives, and their interpretations. You know, David, you talk to students these days, and what you hear is they're basically taught about, you know, slavery, Martin Luther King, Jim Crow, and that's about all they get when it comes to Black history. Does that begin to describe your experience? In fact, it does, because I feel like throughout my years of schooling within specifically the Olathe education system, I've received very minimal education about Black issues further than Rosa Parks sitting on the back of a bus because the schools do not foster that desire. And it's very crucial to our culture. So just fostering that would make me happier. David, when you hear Professor King talk about our failure to teach the array of perspectives that are out there, to what extent does that resonate with you? Not extending perspectives and not not shifting your paradigm to be more than just your own. We are causing a very detrimental effect on society. And I feel like if you're teaching it through the paradigm of the people experiencing it, then you're more likely to reach people in a more, in a greater way. Professor King, this idea that I, I just asked David about, is that is that a roughly accurate picture of what you see across the country? Yes, sir. Um, you know, typically we only focus on kind of the triad of experiences, as you mentioned, slavery, civil war slash reconstruction and the civil rights movement. And we have a very limited and disconnected way of, you know, teaching history. And that brings um, out a different kind of version, because I think we need to really understand that history is not about patriotism, but history is about this notion of finding our humanity. Right. Um, and when we focus on those limited three functions, 
what we're saying is black history is only limited to oppression and some form of liberation. Look, Garrett, you know, how possible is it to train our teachers, you know, at large across the country? What's a reasonable expectation? There needs to be professional development for, you know, teachers to be able to approach it. I once heard um, someone say that if we teach black teachers how to teach a Eurocentric education, mm. we can teach white teachers to teach through black history, right? And that, that has been done as I talk with and do professional development with uh, school districts all around the country on um, my black history framework. And while it will take some time to, uh, you know, kind of change and um, alter the miseducation that has happened within schools, as the uh, student mentioned earlier, um, it can be done. Uh, is your ability to train teachers being curtailed by this new focus on critical race theory? It depends on the school district and the mission of the school district. There are some school districts that are very concerned about the current climate, so they have kind of pulled back. But and but but there's other school districts that that have the mission of diversity education, racial equity, and increasing their curriculum um, offering to their students that are still pushing forward. So so it it would just depend on the various different school districts. So, uh, Dr. King, what would you like to see happen when it comes to the revamping of the teaching of Black history? How do how do we begin that process? Where do we go from here? We need to ensure that. Black history curriculum does not start with enslavement, but it starts with understanding kind of the humanity of Africans, right, before notions of enslavement. Ideas about power, oppression, and racism is extremely important, and I'm sorry, that's just those particular uh, functions still influence Black lives today. Black agency, right, perseverance and um, resistance need to be taught. Black joy needs to be taught. Uh, black, various different black identities need to be taught within black history. Um, social history, black social histories are, are very important and black futures are very important as we begin to start thinking about what are the appropriate ways to build black history courses in our classroom. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking to David Brox and LeGarrette King on Up to Date. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Steve and Laura's story about Contract for Deed, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news coverage from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.